Um, last time we talked about the creation of man, I think it's kind of where we wrapped up and and we were talking about how um, well we, we've seen I think already several times that Adam <clears throat> Adam is a type Romans 5:14 says that Adam is a type of him who is to who was to come, that is Christ. In a lot of ways, Adam, you know when we think of Adam now, we think of Adam fallen um, you know filled with the nature of sin, governed by the nature of sin and and expressing, uh, death, but and and that's that's what Adam came to be. But when Adam was created, before sin even entered the picture, there's a lot of ways that God uh, created him to be a um, a picture of of what was what he was going to accomplish in his son. And I think that's what Paul's talking about there, and in, in, in Romans five fourteen, but in a number of other scriptures that reference Adam as well, we can see that that's how the the New Testament authors understood. Adam's existence. Adam, you know, you have to remember that sin entered into the first. When I say the first, I'm talking about the first creation, the first covenant, the first, uh, the first man. But but the creation of those things wasn't initially filled with sin. It was initially. It was always less than Christ. It was always less than God's eternal purpose in Christ because it was natural. It was temporal. It was physical. But it wasn't always filled with sin. And and so for a for a time, it actually functioned. Well, Adam was like the crown of all types and shadows. He was, you know, yet there's lots of natural created types and shadows that the Lord made in seeds and increase and light and darkness and water and you know things that we've already talked about. Adam, however, was kind of like the crown of all types and shadows. In fact, when it says that he was made in the image and likeness of God, Christians Christians oftentimes grab hold of that concept and try to talk about the greatness of man. And that's not what that's intending to, to, to point to. It's intending to point to the fact that Adam and Eve were, were created as a... Sh- that word actually, image, is the word shade or shadow. In, in Hebrew, and, it, and, it, and it, it's, it's, he was created to point to the one as a shadow, points to the substance, uh, the one who is worthy of our attention. And a lot of times we say, well, man must be something amazing because he was made in the image and likeness of God. Well, as that's, that's true, well, that, that especially was true before the fall in a much greater way, but but that was only ever true to the extent that a shadow is an awesome picture of a person, of a life, which is Christ. We shouldn't use that scripture to talk about the dignity and awesomeness of humanity. We should use that scripture to talk about the dignity and awesomeness of the, of the one that, that, our, that Adam pointed to. And, and anyway, I'm off on a tangent already, but... Uh, we, we see in a number of scriptures that Adam and, and, and the, the garden story um, is dealt with in the New Testament as a picture of spiritual reality. God created a natural creation. He put a natural man in that creation that was a picture of Christ. He actually made the natural man out of the creation. He made him from dust so that you see you, he made him from earth. And so that the natural creation, is, you can see it's kind of summed up in a man. In other words, the man and the creation are kind of the same. They're kind of of the same substance. And that comes to be important in the new creation because the new creation, the man, Christ, and the creation, us, made by the cross, created new in Christ Jesus, as as Paul, Paul describes, 
um, is made of the same stuff as the creation. They're both made of the same substance, which is Christ himself, the, the life of Christ. He shares his life with us. We'll get to that in a minute when we talk about Eve and how Eve came forth. But but here comes this man made out of creation, given the, the, the you know, breathed into, uh, God breathed life into him. And and he has a very specific purpose, and I think we kind of wrapped up with this last time. Honestly, I don't remember, but uh, talking about how he was given dominion, and he was supposed to he was supposed to establish his kingdom in the earth. In fact, the language is multiply, fill, and exercise dominion over, and that is awesome kingdom language because that's exactly how God establishes his kingdom in you. He multiplies his seed in your soul. He fills up your soul so that every corner of his land, which is your soul, is is um, filled with his his, his uh, seed, his nature, his life. And then and then in in so doing, he has he exercises his government, his dominion over his own uh, kingdom. His own body, his own land, his own city, whatever language you want to throw in there. That's what Adam is. That's part of the picture that we see. That's part of the way that Adam was a picture of him who was to come. And and we, we talked about, um, let's see here, what do I have here in the, the notes from last time? We talked about how Adam didn't have a true living spiritual union with God. He had a picture of it. He had an external relationship with God. He walked with God in the cool of the evening, and he spoke with God with external words. And he, he, um, you know, he had had a picture of, of of a relationship with God unhindered by sin in the garden. But he didn't have true spiritual union. He didn't have what we have now. The whole church is trying to get back to what Adam had, and if you were to ask Adam, he would be longing to get to what we have. Because he, we have Christ, the living word, actually living in our soul, establishing his paradise, his dwelling place in the very, uh, in the, in the very temple of your spirit-born, newly created soul. And it's silly for us to long to go back to an external, physical relationship of of walking with God in the in the garden when God through Jesus Christ has not only fulfilled that picture but he has moved into a new his new temple which we are. And um okay so uh I think you know I talked about Adam and how um yeah I I have a bunch of notes here about the breath of life and the man here that that God created, and 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 I'm I'm still talking about Adam before the fall because after the fall, Adam, in a sense, kind of changes the way he operates in the in the earth. He he ceases to be a, a very good type and shadow uh, of of Christ. In some ways, he cannot help but be because he you know he still gets married and has children, and and in a way that points to the increase of Christ you know the, through the seed, and he still. Um, in a sense, has dominion over the earth. In a sense, you could say that still points to whatever. But in the way that he was meant to speak of spiritual reality, testify to spiritual reality, he lost it. He lost that purpose. That's what he fell from. He didn't fall from true spiritual union with God. He fell from his purpose, which was to testify of the one who was to come. But before that even happened, God gave us a whole bunch of these pictures 
of his eternal purpose. And it's important that we notice that these pictures come to us or shown to us before sin even entered the picture. The reason that's important, and I'm getting, getting way ahead of myself here, but let me just say this real quick while it's on my mind. God is showing us pictures of his, his eternal purpose, a seed, an increase, a kingdom, filling the earth, one with the earth, whatever. Before there, before sin entered the picture, and the reason that's important to me is because Christians almost always talk about the cross as a solution to the problems created by sin. And it's so much more than that. Jesus is coming. Jesus is... The, the eternal purpose of God in Christ wasn't to fix a problem. God had an eternal purpose in Christ before there even was a purpose, before there even was a problem, before there even was sin. And the purpose didn't change when sin entered the picture. God, of course, dealt with the, the, the with the problem sin through the cross. That's one of the many things that the cross accomplished, dealing with sin. But it's just we have such a man-centered gospel usually in our hearts. And because we have such a man-centered gospel, we have a very sin-centered gospel. And the only thing that we like to celebrate is that God removes sin. Well, that's true. God removes sin. But he removes sin and he gets back to the same purpose that he had before sin even entered the picture. And he restores us to the purpose for which he created man. And the purpose wasn't that we walk in an external relationship to him in a garden full of pretty trees. The purpose was that we would bear in ourselves his actual indwelling life and become the increase of his unique seed. And uh, and that's what you see in the in the creation story too. I think we talked about that when we were talking about how God was showing everything increasing according to its kind and multiplying and filling the earth. That was a picture of another seed. The seed Jesus called himself the seed. I mean, the the, the apostles called Jesus the seed, the incorruptible seed, the uh, the, the the seed of of uh, how does Peter say it in First Peter? I think it's incorruptible seed or the. I can't remember exactly the language there, but unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. There there was a seed that God had in his heart that he wanted to sow, that he wanted to plant, and he wanted to reap the harvest of it. It wasn't wheat. It wasn't apples, although apples and wheat are both pictures of it. And so we see this increase, this multiplication and filling of seed according to kind in the earth because that was, again, a picture of God's purpose before sin even entered the picture. Well, another another really important aspect of, 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 um, of God's shadows, pictures, figures, symbols uh, that, that point to his eternal purpose in Christ is the creation of Eve. Eve, in this creation of Eve, we see a number of really important and amazing things about God's eternal purpose, about the church, the creation of the church, the perfect, the, the purpose of the church, and, and the nature of grace, which hopefully we'll get to all of those tonight, at least in some kind of a brief uh, overview way. And, uh, because, and, and they're all super important. Um, God begins the whole thing with this statement. He, you know, he, he's looking. He, he, you have to notice uh, there, there's this statement that kind of 
it it just kind of seems out of place with everything that that has gone has has happened in the first two chapters. God is looking at making things and saying it is good. It is good. It is good. He makes this. It's good. He makes that. It's good. Light shines. It's good. Water separated from earth. It's I mean from the dry land. It's good. It's good. It's good. And then all the, uh, uh, finally for the first time in kind of uh, stark contrast to the to the goodness of um of everything he made he looks at man who 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 is alone and he says it is not good it's the, it's the first time you hear that it's not not because it's not not good because it's evil it's just not good that man is alone that's what's not good he didn't create an evil man he created a man that he didn't want to be alone he in other words not 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 he wasn't talking about resolving a problem of loneliness okay that, that that's not what we're meant to see there it's not like oh, i feel bad for adam he's kind of he's trying to make friends with that chimpanzee and it's just not working out you know it's not it wasn't that kind of thing uh it wasn't good that Adam was alone it speaks to the fact that he had no true fellowship. He had no increase of his seed like everything else did in the earth. Everything else had a way, a partner, a way through which it could multiply and fill. And and Adam was the only thing that didn't. And And so... We have a window here through which we can see another man that that God's perspective about this other man, which is Christ, obviously, is that it it was not good that he remain alone. God speaking of speaking to Abraham or speaking about Abraham in Genesis chapter two when he says it is not good that man be alone is really speaking of Christ and God's desire that Christ, his one and only son, have some kind of an increase. Um, you could say a, a partner, if you understand that correctly. A bride. A, a, a provision for the increase and glorification of his own seed. And and so the, the language here of it not being good for him to remain alone we see it again in John chapter 12 when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he says it's not good that that I remain that that the seed of God remains alone it's kind of an echo that 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 comes all the way back goes all the way back to the garden and Jesus says unless the seed dies goes into the ground and dies it remains alone but if it dies it will bear much fruit and and, and so, God was speaking to 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 Adam in this story, but we know we know it not just just by the obvious nature of types and shadows and pictures here, but we know it. We know it from uh, Ephesians chapter five when Paul tells us that all of this was talking about Christ and the church, Adam and Eve and their relationship, and the increase there was talking about Christ and the church. Paul says that, so we're not just kind of we're not just you know. Uh, as J.W. Lumen says, sucking this out of our thumb, where uh, you know it's right there in Scripture. We we just need to have the Lord deal with us about how this is true. God wanted an increase. 
it wasn't, you know, Jesus wasn't lonely in the Trinity, okay? I, I don't want to get this, I don't want to paint this picture of, of, you know, Jesus saying, you know, Daddy, I want a friend to play with or something like that. It's not that. But God looks at the greatness and perfection and awesomeness of his one and only Son and desires, desires something. He desires that this one be glorified in many. That this one fill, that there be a, 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 an increase, a kingdom, a greater expression and experience of this one perfect son. And, and, and so that is what we can see here. There's a motivation in the heart of God. There's a desire in the heart of God. Not a need. It doesn't have any needs. But there is a desire. In fact, I, I, I would say, if, if someone were to ask me, why did God create the world? Why did he create? He didn't have to. He was perfectly content, I'm sure, in the fellowship of the Trinity. You know, there wasn't anything lacking. And yet, there was something he desired. Nothing he needed, but something he wanted. And something in his nature, something in his, yeah, in his nature, in his being, in his heart, whatever way you want to say it, motivated him to create. And if, if you were to ask me what, what that was, I would probably respond with two words. I would say glory and love. Both of those words have to be defined in the light or we're going to make up what they mean. And we're going to think that the glory of God is a bunch of people singing and doing dances. You know, or we're going to see, I think it's a bunch of like resurrected bodies that are like see-through and shiny. You know, there's the glory of God and his people. Or, and we're going to think love. It's just this, this like flighty emotion that God feels, you know, sometimes for people or like kind of like we sometimes feel for people or we need the Lord to define these words. But if you understand glory to be God's desire to have a greater expression and experience of one perfect thing, like I've said before, like diamonds, like a pile of diamonds glorifies the sun, not by having glory in themselves, but by receiving the light from the sun and refracting and reflecting it in a, in, in a bunch of beautiful colors that are all there in the sun to begin with. Glory is part of that purpose. Love is also probably the other side of the same coin. You know, I don't know that you can really just, just divide these two, but love isn't something God feels. It's something God is. Love is the nature of God to... Give himself, share himself, pour out himself, deliver himself, uh, give all that he is and has to those who can and will receive it. That's part of, it's not just a feeling he has, like wouldn't it be nice to like have someone I could, you know, watch a movie with. It's, it's. It's no, it's part of, it's not, a, it's not an emotion, it's, it's, an, it's part of his nature. God is love. God is love. It doesn't say love is God, because that would leave us to define God by our understanding of love. You see what I just said? If, if the scripture doesn't say love is God. If love is God, then, then my version of love is how I'm going to define God. But God is love. God is love. That is to say, the very nature of God, part of his very being and essence and nature, is giving himself away. The exact opposite of the Adamic man, by the way. The 
the Adamic man, the very nature that works in our uh, in us and motivates all of our thoughts, decisions, and actions, is the desire to take unto ourselves what's around us. When we love something, we take it. When we love French fries, we shove them in our mouth. When we love uh, fishing, we just spend all our time fishing. You know, we do, we take, we we experience, we grab, we pull to our. You know, you want. Uh, you know, you you have a crush on the, the 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 girl down the road. What do you want to do? You you want it. You want her to be yours. You know, you take. Well, the nature of the love of man is like that. The nature of the love of God is this outpouring of of uh, of love, of life, of of self. It's and if you look throughout the New Testament, you're going to see that that um, whenever God is talking about love, just about every time. It's always sharing the sharing of himself. For God so loved the world. And that, that word so is in this way. It's not uh, talking of quantity. It's talking about the quality. In, in, or, or in, in Greek, it's uh, or in Spanish too. For God in this way loved the world. That he gave. That's how he loved. He gave. He gave what? He gave his only son. You know, uh, and if you look through all the verses about love, you'll see that even in Jesus' description of God's love for him, the Father loves the Son and has delivered all things into his hands. The Father loves the Son and has shown him all things that he is doing. You know, that was Jesus' understanding of the love of God, too. He's sharing everything with me. And in Christ, the love of God is yours in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ because in Christ you become the recipient of all that God gives and has. And why am I talking about Oh, because, because uh, the reason that God said it is not good for man to be alone is because I believe in his very nature and being there is this constant... Uh, moving, I don't know, I want to say desire, but that sounds too 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 light, I guess. Um, desire, moving, motivation for glory and love. And so he creates. He creates out of nothing. He creates so that there could be this thing created. Call it a, call it a people. Call it a kingdom. Call it a bride. Call it a church. Call it a harvest. Call it a city, uh, an eternal city that's fifteen hundred miles cubed. You know, call it whatever picture that we see of it in Scripture you want to. But what is it? It's a created thing, something that wasn't with God in the beginning, but that comes out from God, comes back to God with this express purpose: bearing in itself His increase, His glory and receiving in itself his love, that is to say, the outpouring of himself. If you can see what I just said uh, with a little bit of light, it's the most amazing thing in the world that God created to share himself with a creation and thereby glorify himself through a creation. But we need to understand what all of that means because you can take everything I just said and totally carnalize it, atomize it. You can make it centered in man. You can make it about my giving glory to God. You don't have glory to give to God. 
The same way a diamond doesn't have glory to give light, give glory to the sun. It it receives glory, it bears glory, it shows off glory, but that glory comes from the sun. That glory comes from God, works in you as the increase of God, and it's refracted and reflected back to God as his own increase. You have nothing that God wants except the increase of his son filling your soul, which is also your greatest good, too. It's not like he's just using you as a means to an end. He's actually loving you by pouring out himself in your soul. You get to experience all of it. But don't make the mistake of thinking that in our fallen Adamic carnality, God wants to uh, wants to just sit back and enjoy our our songs, you know, or wants to just sit back and just you know ex- just experience our emotions of love for Him. He doesn't want that. That's exactly what He crucified, actually. Adamic emotions, fickle emotions that only love God because they love your, because you love yourself. And you love what God does for you in your own mind. You know, they love the golden calf. But it was a figment of their imagination. I mean, it was real. But it came out from their imagination. Anyway, I'm all over the place tonight. Sorry. Uh, so, God looks down and says... And I'm going to help... I'm going to try to bring some of what I just said into a, a, a clearer picture when we talk about the, the bride here, but or the wife, Eve. But I believe it's for these reasons that God says it was not good that Christ be alone. It was not good that Adam be alone, which was another way of saying it is not good that my one seed abides alone. I want a harvest. I want an increase. I want I want the one perfect son to be glorified in a million little diamonds that both receive and experience and enjoy the outpouring of his life and cause it to be glorified and increase in a, in a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. So, um, okay, the creation of the church is what we see in in, in Adam and Eve. There, there was no, as we said, there was no provision for the the increase of the first man. There was nothing of like kind. There was no, God looks around, or Adam looks around the garden, and there was nothing, nothing that could he could join to himself. You know. Um, I, I one time heard my brother say he, he couldn't just put lipstick on a gorilla and, and call it close enough. You know, I like that when he said that. But uh, uh, but that's that's true. You know, and that's that's important. That the whole point there was that there was nothing in create. There was nothing that was made that could join itself to Christ. Nothing. There wasn't anything good enough to become the, the partner of, of the eternal Son of God. He didn't just come down and look for really nice Israelites, you know, or really humble Gentiles. He, he, there was nothing in creation that he could have joined himself to. Not one single thing. Not Job, not Daniel, and not Samuel. Not anyone. There was nothing. They were all gorillas with lipstick. I mean, the best of them. John the Baptist, okay? Among those born of a woman, no one has whatever uh, uh, risen up greater than John the Baptist. But still, what's the very next thing that God, that Jesus says? He who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. He who is least in this life that comes out from Christ, which is what he's about to show with Eve here, is greater than the best of the Adamic creation. I used to read that passage and want to be like John the Baptist. What a mistake 
That was, that was the whole purpose for Jesus' statement there was that the best of Adam doesn't even compare to the least of a new creation that contains and lives by his life, the life of Christ. Well, there was no provision for the increase of this man. And so what does God do? God shows us one, an, awesome, an awesome picture of the cross right here in the beginning. He puts that man to sleep. He puts him to death in a, in a picture, just like he put Christ to death on the cross. He pierces his side. He takes out from him the very life, something of the very life of that man. He doesn't grab a coconut and make, and make the woman. He doesn't grab a tree branch. He doesn't, grab, he doesn't use the soil again and, and create from the soil uh, the partner for the man. He doesn't use anything in creation. We have to understand that because you are not made the bride of Christ through your natural birth. Nothing that you are or have or want or think or do is what God was looking for to give to his son. Nothing. The, the only way that God creates a bride for his son is by taking that bride right out of his son. Taking the life out of his son and then causing us to be the, the, the vessel for that life, for that increase. So, that is that is such an important thing, and we could we could talk about that and talk about the implications of that forever. And and someone might say, well, what's why is that such a big deal? Such a big deal, Jason. The big deal is that just about everywhere you look in the church, people are trying to make the bride of Christ a big deal in and of herself. In other words, they're trying to say, uh, God loves you just the way you are. For instance, it's absolutely true that God loves you. What you were by nature wasn't what he made to be joined to his son. What you were by nature is actually what he crucified at the cross so he could give you another life, give you something totally different, give you the life that comes out from the side of his son. And there's, there's movements and, 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 and ministries that focus on, I know that because I was part of one, but that focus on... Uh, the bride of Christ, but it's all about how much God has strong emotions for human beings. And that's completely missing the point of what's going on here. There was nothing in the garden that was worthy of Adam's affection. Nothing. Until God created out from the life of Adam something that could be joined to him. The criteria for being loved by Adam was being made of the same life and kind as Adam. Before, or as speaking of her, speaking of the, the natural attributes of anything created, there was nothing. He looked around the garden and there was nothing. And so God made out of his own son that which could be given back to his son as his partner. And and I hope that that is, is really clear because it's really clear in Genesis. He couldn't have made it more clear. In fact, as soon as Adam wakes up from his death, burial, and resurrection and type in shadow, his, his profound sleep, the very first thing he says is not look at this attractive female. I wonder where she came from. You know, I like her. 
it was, She is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, and she is, she, and, and in fact, that's why she's called woman, because woman means out of man. That's the whole purpose of the name. Woman is out of man. In fact, when God creates man, it says he creates them male and female and calls them man. He called them by one name because they were one life. He called them one thing because they shared one life. And if you don't see that, and if you don't see the importance of that, you're going to think that God is loving flesh. That God has set his affection upon the very thing that he has crucified with the cross. You're going to think that you, who you are naturally in the flesh, because of your own personality, your own commitment, and your own emotions, you're going to think that's the object of God's desire and affection, and that's going to depend on you. So you better be a really good boy or girl, because you might mess up God's love for you. And, and maybe when you're there at the conference and you're, and you're crying and you're raising your hands and you're singing pretty songs to Jesus, you can actually make yourself believe that he loves you. But when you're back in your house and you're acting carnal with your kids or whatever, and you're, and you're seeing the darkness of your own soul, it's going to be really hard to believe that you're the object of God's affection. Because you're, either way, you're basing it in what you are in the flesh. You're basing it in the wrong man. You're basing it in the wrong life. You're going to think, and you're going to try to hold on to this idea of the love of God. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. If I say it enough times, I'll believe it. I'm going to quote this scripture. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to just walk around and saying God's heart is ravished for me or whatever until I believe it. It won't work. Because the nature of God's love for you isn't seen, known, or defined in what you are in the flesh. It is seen, known, and defined in what God has given you of himself. So to know the love of God, you have to know the son of his love. To know your acceptance, you have to, have to know the, 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 the beloved who is, uh, who is accepted of God, in whom you are accepted. To know the greatness of this relationship, you cannot base it on what you bring to the table. Or you're going to be spending the rest of your life trying to convince yourself in, a, in your natural mind because of your natural characteristics, attributes, and determination that God loves you. I, I, I get a little bit passionate about that because I, I spend some time doing that. And yet for those who see that the love of God is the giving of his life, and that I receive the love of God by sharing in the one who is the beloved of God. And that nothing could separate me from the love of God because I am in Christ and he's not relating to me according to my flesh, but according to the new life that he took out of his side. Well, then that can become a living, daily, unchangeable, unthreatenable, undoubtable reality. You can actually, as Paul says, not be blown around by every wind of doctrine, but rooted and grounded in the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not a mental, emotional confidence that God has certain feelings for you in the flesh, but a spiritual awakening and realization that everything that God has and is has been poured out to you by the Spirit that lives within you. That's what Paul says in Romans 5. Romans 5, uh, 5. That the love of God has been poured out in us, in our hearts, it says, poured out in our hearts 
by the spirit that he has given to us. The, another, let me put it in Genesis chapter 2 language. The love of God has been given to you. When God reached into his own son's side, took out the life of the only one in the garden that had that kind of life, and put it into your soul without measure. And then qualified you by doing so to be joined forever to the one whose life you're sharing. Now, if that becomes your knowledge, understanding, and experience of the love of God, you can't shake that. You can't change it. You can't doubt it. You can't. It's not based on you. It's based on this incredible work of God whereby he put his son to sleep and shared with you all that his son is and has, including his son's relationship with his own father. And so the spirit of Christ within you cries out, Abba Father. That's not your flesh crying out, Abba Father. Do you see the difference? It's not you trying to convince yourself that you have an Abba Father. That's not you memorizing the verses about Abba Father. The Spirit of the Son, the only one who ever had a right to that relationship, now has been placed inside of you. It was taken out of his side, put in you, and now the Spirit of the Son cries out from your inner man, Abba Father, I belong to you because his life is in me. I am your child because I have been joined to the one whose life you gave me. And all of it is based on and based in Jesus Christ. All of it is rooted and grounded in a finished work that you couldn't change, fix, add to, or take away from. All of it is finished by the Lord and ready to be revealed, as Peter says, to any and every heart that wants to turn and see it. And it becomes the stability of your of your of your life, the love of God in Christ. It becomes the way that you understand your relationship with God. It, it stops being something that you try to believe in with your mind. Our name before God, our name means out from Christ. Out of, that's what, your name shall be woman for out of man you have come forth. Your name shall be the church because out of my son you have been created. So, bone of bone, flesh of flesh, picture picture there of our union. That's what Paul's. If you go back, and I won't look it up now, but if you look at the end of uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, this is just exactly what Paul says. He's just, he just says it. I mean, he just says everything I just said, but better. And so, um, okay, well, I'm going kind of slow tonight, but... So, what's the purpose of the bride then, or the purpose of of Eve? Well, Eve's purpose is really clear if you pay attention to what's going on around this story. What did God want? Well, he wanted that the one seed not be alone. Not a bunch of different seeds that try to act like the original copy. That's not a harvest. Not not a bunch of people that keep him company because he, he, he was feeling lonely. 
What's the harvest? Well, it's just like any other thing you saw in the creation story. The harvest is the increase of the one seed. And so the bride's purpose, and you see this right away, is a living union with the husband that brings about an increase of his seed to fill the entire creation. That, going back to the whole question we started it, we started off with, why did God create glory? Love and glory. They're right there in that picture with that woman, with that, with that creation of Eve. Love, the full giving and sharing of life in a union unto an increase. He, she was the way by which, the means through which he had his increase. That's what the church is. The church is the means by which Christ, you could say he impregnates us with his living seed, his implanted seed, and we bear in ourselves. You know, what does Buddhist Paul say? I am in labor until Christ is formed in you. Just like Mary is a natural picture of this. That the living word of God came into her and, and, and she bore his increase until there was an appearing of the sun. Until there was a, a formation and a coming forth of that which was growing up inside of her. Christ formed in you. The seed of God, James says, the implanted seed of God. That, that What does it do? It saves your soul. It transforms your soul. It changes you into the image of the growing seed. And those who are hungry will feed on that increase in you. It's just like John the Baptist. You know, he was in, he was in Elizabeth's womb and, and, and Mary was still carrying Jesus in her womb. And, 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 and John the Baptist, a man hungry for the Lord, leaps in the womb of Elizabeth upon hearing the voice of Mary. You know, it, that's what it feels like when you get around people that, that, that are looking for the seed that's growing in you. Something and it's like it's like the guys on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures and declared himself to us, you know? And uh, you know that's John the Baptist doing a little, you know, uh, fetal backflip or something <laughs> in the womb there. That was weird. But um, anyway, what's the purpose of the bride? The purpose of the bride is. A union of life with the bridegroom through sharing life, through sharing the one life. Not bringing her life and adding it onto his life and the two make a nice little mixture. Okay, That's not the picture. But the one life being shared with the other so that the two are of the same kind. Coming together and this union has a production and the or has, a, has an increase, has a, has a result. And the result is a seed that fills up the creation. Now, shortly after this, uh, we know that he Adam fell, and or, or in the next chapter it talks about how Adam fell, even before they produced the increase of their kind. In fact, when they start producing the increase of their kind, it says very, very plainly, I think it's in uh, Genesis 5-4, that uh, we'll get to it, but um, that Adam, Adam and Eve had a son in their own likeness and in their own image. And so they kind of lost the image of what they were meant to bear. 
the, the image of God, the type and shadow. But, uh, but, 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 you know, what I'm saying is that even though the seed that eventually came forth from Adam and Eve was a corrupted seed, was a seed that didn't any longer bear the image of what was supposed to fill the creation, and yet, and yet, that's that that all that happened after this story that we're talking about. Before sin even entered the picture, God's purpose was glory and love, love and glory, union and increase, whatever way you want to say it. The creation of a bride by the life of His Son. We don't get to be Jesus, but we receive his life and are joined to him. And what's the purpose? Well, that the the new creation is absolutely filled from corner to corner with the increase of this one incorruptible seed. I'm basically out of time, but but this picture of the of the bride it 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 it, it comes. It, right here in, in Genesis chapter two, and 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 it reappears, but it, but it reappears throughout Scripture, always pointing to the to the not not pointing to the Adamic uh, counterfeit you know selfish love that you know some people read some of this bride language you know, or they read the Song of Solomon or whatever and they you know they think it's talking about natural love or something. Why would God talk about that? You know seriously. It's, you know, in Isaiah, or or not just, I mean, you go way back to Genesis, the, the relationship that you see with uh, one good picture is Isaac and, and, and um, Rebecca. Um, but but in, in lots of relationships, in Jacob uh, and, and um, Leah, and then Rachel, uh, there's pictures of... of uh, of this relationship and the purpose for this relationship. Give me seed or else I die, Rachel says. You know, Get, Produce an increase through me or I have no purpose. You know, And and that's how Sarah saw her life too. And, and out from the dead womb of Sarah, as I think we... No, that was another class. That was Hebrews. Comes forth this... Um, comes forth this life. But then but then there's awesome prophetic statements about the, the fulfillment of this reality in um, in in the uh, in the prophets in Jeremiah in Isaiah and and then there is statements in the New Testament all the way to the end all the way to Revelation the bride in fact the bride is right there at the very very end of Revelation uh, desiring the the increase of 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 the Lord's kingdom and uh, anyway Let's see here if I have anything else. I, I, I'm going to stop before I get to this. The, how this story paints a picture of grace, um, and we'll pick up with that next time. But I hope you see why it's important that this happened before sin. I hope that makes sense to you because almost, almost always, if you if you pick up a book about the cross, or you pick up a book about God's purpose, or you pick up a book that even has anything to do with what God wants, it almost always has to do with fixing the problems created by sin. And I just think that's so sad because because the before there even was sin, there was a purpose. And yes, the cross made it, it restored the ability to bring that purpose to its to its fulfillment in Christ. Absolutely, but. 
but fixing problem cr problems created by sin was not the purpose. It was a means to the purpose, and the purpose is shown to us right here before sin ever came into the picture. It was the glorification of the man who was a, a picture of Christ by filling up a creation, by giving himself through death, giving his life to another, joining that other to himself, producing an increase of his seed that fills up a new creation. It's all right there before there was a single problem to resolve. So I'll stop with that, stop the recording here, and if there's uh, comments or questions, then, as always, let's talk about them. <laughs>